we're just going to do that tonight. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. But uh, the, I saw on my desk this morning when I came in a uh, postcard from uh, Randy and Robin from uh, Israel. <laughs> so <laughs> you guys beat the postcard. <laughs> um, but uh, so <laughs> I'm glad you did. Uh, but it was a picture of the uh, of the garden tomb uh, there in Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem, and. Um, I was thinking about that song that we just sung, um, I'm Thankful for the Cross, and, and you know, a lot of Christians, you know, maybe wear the cross, some of you may even have, you know, some ladies have like a cross necklace or cross earrings or something of that nature. Um, well, I'm thankful that uh, the cross is empty because Jesus didn't stay on that cross, okay? Some churches, uh, they kind of have a bunch of pictures of Jesus still on the cross, and the thing is, is he didn't stay on the cross, he was buried. But he didn't stay in that tomb, though, either. Uh, one thing about the picture you sent us from Jerusalem of that tomb is uh, there was no stone in front of it anymore. And uh, there was no body in there either because Jesus has risen from the grave. And that is much we have much to rejoice in. Uh, we know uh, and we serve a risen Savior who lives today. And so I'm grateful for that. Okay, well... Let's go ahead and get started tonight. Um, turn your Bible to Daniel chapter number four. Daniel chapter number four. And we're going to kind of start where we started last, uh, last time and, and see if we can't do a little review to bring us back up to speed here. Um, but uh, we're going through the different doc, major doctrines of the Bible. And uh, we're now in theology and trying to finish this one up. Uh, we've looked at the names of God. We've looked at many of the attributes of God. Uh, but tonight we're going to end with looking at the sovereignty of God because it's, that's a big discussion um, in religious circles, and uh, there's some big debate about it. And yet the Bible is fairly clear on it, um, and sometimes people overthink the Bible and uh, think that they know better than the Bible, and of course that's a dangerous place to be. Well, Daniel chapter number 4, um, we're going to pick it up in verse number 34. Um, let me get there. Uh, here it is. So just a reminder on the context here, Nebuchadnezzar, very prideful man, uh, very powerful and prideful uh, man, uh, was the king of Babylon at the time. Uh, and under his rule, they uh, took uh, Judah captive. And then, um, and then God had a way of humbling him in a, in a pretty big way when uh, Nebuchadnezzar literally became like a beast and ate the grass of the field and his hair became his feathers, and his nails became his claws, and um, I mean, it was, he, he really was humbled. Well, then in verse number 34, after he comes to his senses here, he says, he says this, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. That was a big statement for Nebuchadnezzar to make, uh, because he thought he was not only something, but he thought he was the greatest. Um, but he realized that he was reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? And uh, so this is a, an amazing uh, little passage. And, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, I wouldn't necessarily think of him as the perfect theologian. And yet, 
what he prayed here and what he said here in these two verses was actually uh, pretty powerful and profound and uh, correct as he talked about God. Um, he talked about the one, the one God that he lives forever, that he's eternal, that his dominion is an everlasting dominion. He rules and reigns. And then um, verse 35 says, uh, he doeth according to his will, and uh, none can stay his hand. In other words, none can stop him. I mean, we can try as we want, but not, God, God will not be stopped. He is going to have his will accomplished. And so this all has to do with the sovereignty of God. And, and uh, we went through, start, we started going through the first couple thoughts there. And so they're already filled out in your outline. Uh, but just by way of review, let me go through them very quickly. Number one, in, in this discussion, as we look at the sovereignty of God, that it means a few things. First of all, it means that he is the authority in charge. Uh, one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar learned was that God was the almighty authority in charge. God is on the throne of heaven and earth. He rules and reigns. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has the right to tell us what to do as a result of that. You know, when uh, you're on the playground, when you were a kid, you know, and somebody tells you what to do and it's like, hey, you're not my boss. Uh, well, God is our boss. And so he can indeed tell us what to do because he's the authority in charge. And uh, several verses we, we looked at that uh, um, I'll just read one of them. Okay, maybe a couple of them here. First Chronicles 29, uh, verses 10 through 12 says, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. And thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. And that's a tremendous little passage there. Um, and then Psalm 103, verse 19 says, The Lord hath prepared his thrones in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. And several others. Okay, one more. Psalm 115, verse 3. Uh, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. So he is the authority in charge. He's the king of kings. He rules and reigns as the great sovereign God. And what does that mean my response should be? My response should be submission. Uh, because he's the authority, because he's in charge, I need to submit myself to his authority and leadership. Uh, Luke 6.46 says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Many of us would agree with the fact that God is the authority in charge, but do our lives reflect that? And uh, if he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. Uh, someone correctly said there. And so most of us would say, oh yeah, he's, he's the Lord of my life. And, you know, I, I, I'm thankful that he is the Lord of my life. Okay, well, if that's the case, then we should be submitting to him in every area. Um, so we need to uh, submit to his authority. All right. Secondly, we saw that he is always in control. He is always in control. So God's sovereignty means that he is the authority in charge. But number two, he is always in control. There's never been a moment in history where God was worried about what was happening in the world. And we can even take that into our lives. There's never been a moment in our lives where God was going, yeah, I'm not sure about this one. This is a little sketchy. Um, this is, I'm really not sure what's going on here. He's 
always in control. Um, and uh, Romans 8.28, we're familiar with this verse. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So God is in control and is able to make all things cooperate and work together for good to them that love God. And uh, I don't know how he does that. Uh, we can't necessarily uh, wrap our minds around how he does it because he's God and we're not. He's infinite. We're finite. Um, all right. So the Bible is very clear that he is in complete control of everything that goes on in the universe. And that includes everything that goes on in our lives. So what should my response then be to the fact that God is always in control? Trust. So we need to submit to the sovereign God who's the authority in charge, but then we also need to trust the God that is always in control. And so tonight, my encouragement to all of us is to trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and then he promises then to direct our path. And so that is the, uh, the response that we should have to that. Um, and then number three here, um, so God's sovereignty means that he is the authority in charge. He means he's always in control. And then number three, it also means he allows us to choose. Now, here's the truth. God is the authority and is in control, and he gives us a free will. Now, I don't claim to know exactly how all of this works, but I can tell you this is what the Bible teaches. Uh, you think about even the nation of Israel, who God did great mighty things to deliver them and to rescue them from the bondage of Egypt. And you would think, okay, because of that, they would want to follow the Lord and be obedient to him. And yet we know that that wasn't the case. Even after they exited uh, Egypt and entered into the promised land, eventually they still, uh, they still went backwards. They still forsook, forsook the Lord. And that goes to show us that um, he gives us the ability to choose. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10 says, But they rebelled, talking about Israel. They rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. See, he, God gave us a free will, and so as a result, uh, we know that God did not create us to be robots, right? Uh, he wants us to follow him, not because we have to, but because we want to. I mean, God didn't want, doesn't want us to go, I will go to church tonight because that is how I am programmed. No, God wants us to go to church because we love him and we love what he loves. Um, I want to stay away from sin because that is what I have been programmed to do. Okay, some of you can probably do the robot dance actually pretty good. I cannot. Um, at least I'm not going to do it publicly on the internet, okay? But he did not create us to be robots. He created us with a free will. And, and how does that work with God's sovereignty? That's a difficult thing that is going to blow our mind because we're not meant to understand all of that. I mean, think about John uh, 1, verse 11. Um, and this is, a, this is a super sad verse and one that blows my mind. But Jesus, he came unto his own, his own had a free will, and what did they do with that free will? They received him not. 
and you just went to the promised land. You just went to Jerusalem, and and that was there. There's a bunch of people there that still have not received Him, um, because God has given all of us a free choice. He doesn't force Himself on us. He knocks. He has a still small voice. There's not this. You will do what I say. It's yes, He's in control, and yes, he's the authority, but he still allows us to choose. Now, I realize that the sovereignty of God and the choice God has given to us has been the cause of serious religious debate for centuries. And and I don't want to stand up here and say, well, I'm going to simplify it and make it easy, and I am the expert on this. Uh, no, no. There, there's, there's men who are far smarter than I am who have researched this and thought about this a lot more than I have. But, um, but to me, as I consider some of the Bible passages I'm going to give you tonight, there's no doubt the Bible teaches us um, uh, that God, has, God is sovereign and he gives us this free choice, both. It's not one or the other. Some emphasize, well, God has given us the free choice, and so, yes, that's, that's the emphasis. And some say, well, no, 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 I, I guess he gives us a little bit of choice, but God is going to make his will done. And so that's the emphasis. Really, it's a dual emphasis in the Bible. Now, there is no doubt that the Bible teaches us that God in his sovereignty has chosen us. Here's a clear verse, Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 5. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of, of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then verse 11 of that same chapter says, in whom we have, uh, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of of his own will. And uh, that, that does tell us that God has, in his sovereignty, chosen us before the foundation of the world. So before God said, let there be light, before God said, you know, uh, and made the stars and the, and the sun and the moon and, and created all that's here on this earth, before he did all of that, he had you and I in mind. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Pretty amazing. So he has chosen us, therefore I have no choice. (laughs) Actually, according to the Bible, yes, we do have a choice. Uh, We do have to um, make the choice to receive. See, uh, what do we do then with the whosoever's of the Bible? John 3.16 comes to mind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if it's whosoever, that means that any one of us has the choice to make, every one of us has the choice to make whether we choose to believe or not. John 11, verse 25, Jesus said unto, this is Martha here, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this. See, we all have a choice to believe or not to believe. 
Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I thought it was just for the elect. I thought it was just for those who were chosen. I mean, okay, here's, so here's the question. Okay, so does God know who's going to get saved? He has perfect foreknowledge. He, he, he's not on a time frame like you and I. He transcends time. He created time for us. He doesn't, he's not, he, he's past, present, and future. Jesus Christ is same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, he never changes, and he's eternal, and he has perfect knowledge of past, present, and future of all of our lives. And yet, in spite of that, he still allows us to choose. He gives us that free will. Revelation 22, 17 is another reference. The spirit and the bride say come and let him that heareth say come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. He gives us a choice. See, when it comes to salvation and the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, it's not either, it's or um, either or, it's both. And for those who have heard the terminology, I'm not preaching Calvinistic theology which says God chooses us and we have no choice and there is this irresist, irresistible grace. But nor am I preaching Armenian theology, which means God, God doesn't know what's going to happen. And God doesn't have a will and he hasn't chosen us. Yes, he has. Um, John Morin, in his book, Decision Making and the Will of God, he said this, I read the many teachings of the Bible regarding God's election, predestination, his chosen, and so on. I read also the many teachings regarding whosoever will may come and urging people to exercise their responsibility as human beings. These seeming contradictions cannot be reconciled by, puny, by the puny human mind. He said, with childlike faith, I cling to both ropes, fully confident that eternity in eternity, I will see that both strands of truth are, after all, of one piece. D.L. Moody simplified this complicated concept this way. He said, the elect are the whosoever wills, and the non-elect are the whosoever won'ts. And I think that's a good way to put it. But one of the best explanations of this concept I heard was that the door to heaven has a sign. Now, there's, and this, this may be true, but I... I, I, just to help us understand it, I don't really think that this is, obviously it's not in the Bible here, but to, to help understand it, uh, that the door to heaven has a sign that says, whosoever will, let him come. But once you enter that door, there's another sign on the inside that says, I have chosen you from the foundation of the world. And uh, since we don't know who all those who are going to enter in, um, Let's go after everybody, because again, whosoever will may come. Oh, by the way, also, God's sovereign will is that all men would be saved, that it's not just for a certain type of person. John 3, 16, for God so loved the, anybody know the next word? World. world. It didn't say for God so loved the elect. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon 
all them that believe, for there is no difference. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's, in fact, turn over there. We're in Daniel 4, I think, probably still. But if you go over to 1 Timothy chapter number 2, this is a very clear passage on the fact that um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, the truth of the free will of man and the fact that it's available for all. Now, we realize that not all are going to receive it. Remember, Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. We, we all have a choice, and not all are going to receive. Not all are going to choose. The first Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3. Um, in verses 1 and 2, Paul encourages uh, Timothy and, and the church family there to be uh, faithful in praying for our elected leaders and those in authority. And then he says, verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have, so his, we're about to find out what God's will is, right? Who will have all men to be saved. Okay, so it didn't say who will have all the elect to be saved. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And then look at verse number 6. Who gave himself a ransom for the elect. Is that what it says? Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. See, uh, Jesus died for all. Not just for those who would receive him. He died for all. Um, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9 is another reference. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, here it is, should taste death, death for the elect. That's not what the verse says. The verse says that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. 2 Peter 3, 9, this may be a reference that you are probably thinking about. Um, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's will, and he is willing that nobody would perish and go to hell, but that all would come to repentance and be born again and be part of his family and spend eternity with him. That's God's will. But he also gives us the ability to choose and some choose not to receive. 1 John 2, 2 is one last reference I want to share with you. It says, he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. Okay, well, he's one of the elect, so that's why he said that. Well, the rest of the verse says, and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. See, uh, Jesus died for all, and his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient not only to forgive me of all of my sins because I'm one of the elect, but it was sufficient to forgive the sins of the whole world. Praise the Lord for that. So the amazing truth about the sovereignty of God tonight is that he does allow us to choose. He didn't have to give us that choice. 
again, he could have made us robots, but instead he gave us that choice. And he gave Adam and Eve that choice there in the garden and said, hey, look, you, you do what you want to do here, but I'm telling you there are consequences for your choices if you choose not to believe, if you choose not to trust me. Okay, so we talked about the fact that God is the authority in charge. And our response should be, starts with the letter S. Anybody know? Because he's the authority and because he's in charge, my response should be submission. submission. Thank you. Okay, and then secondly, we said that uh, the sovereignty of God means that he is always in control. And my response to that should be, starts with T. And rhymes with rust. <laughs> Starts with T and rhymes with rust. Trust, okay? Yes, so, okay, but what's my response to the fact that God allows us to choose? Well, um, my response should be belief and faith. Choose to believe tonight on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us that choice. He's given us that gift of choice. It's not just a gift. It's also responsibility. So choose to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. Believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, that he was deity robed in humanity. Believe that he lived a perfect and sinless life. Believe that he died on the cross for you and for your sins, and that he rose again from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. That's what you need to believe. And he's given you that choice. But uh, you don't have to choose that. You can choose to reject him. But I will say, if you choose to reject him and his gift of salvation, and the Bible does talk about the destiny of the unsaved, the destiny of the unbeliever. And it's not a good place. It's a place called hell, where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not, where there's, it's a place of torments and torture, an unbelievable amount of pain, a place where you'll have the memory of the opportunities you had to choose, but you chose to reject. And that's a forever place. Technically, those in hell will one day come out of that place and stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment. And from there, they'll be judged according to their works and then cast into what the Bible calls the lake of fire. And so that's the result of not choosing to believe but praise the lord he's given us a choice so the sovereignty of god means he is the authority in charge my response should be submission sovereignty of god means he's always in control my response should be trust the sovereignty of god means he allows us to choose my response should be belief and because god is sovereign i then should submit to him should trust him and believe in him. Some time ago, I came across this message from God that shows his love and concern for you and I, and it's written very beautifully. And it's not scripture, but it's scriptural. There's um, biblical truth in this. And it goes like this. My precious child, I am in control. I am sovereign. I'm able to make things happen the way I want them to go. Yes, I allow you to make your own choices. And I know you don't fully understand how these ideas can operate side by side. But I'm able to work within and around the choices you make 
to cause my ultimate purposes to succeed. And for this, you must trust me. Ask me about your choices and plans. My wisdom is yours if you'll just ask. I want you to cooperate with my plans. When the people around you don't do that, be assured I am still in control. I will fulfill my plan. Their choices are their own, but I'm still in control. Trust me, I'll use it for your good. Lovingly, your heavenly Father, the King. With that, let's have a word of prayer and thank the Lord for his sovereignty, and then we'll do some prayer requests tonight. Lord, we do thank you tonight for the opportunity to gather together to